G'day everybody, Matt Ellis with you for the latest edition of the Cricket Library podcast and a really interesting tale for us today. It's the Richard McInnes story. From his early beginnings in cricket, working as a regional cricket manager in country Queensland, to coaching the Australian women's team and being a part of the Australian men's cricket team set up at a time when John Buchanan was at the helm. We hear about his passion for data, his passion for coaching, and his desire to get the best out of people by creating environments in which they can succeed. This is a story for anyone who wants to take themselves to the next level. It's time to sit back, relax, and enjoy the Richard McInnes story on the Cricket Library Podcast. It's a very warm welcome to the Cricket Library Podcast. Richard McInnes, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks, Matt. Thanks for having me. I really love the the different kinds of people we, we get on on this podcast, and uh, your your journey is a really interesting one. Can we go right back to the beginning and uh, find out a little bit about where your passion for the game began? Um, yeah, it's a lot. It's a long while ago now. Um, I I grew up in a little place called Kingaroy, country Queensland. Um, uh, which is also the, I suppose, the hometown of, uh, of Matt Hayden and Carl Rackerman, among others. Yep. Um, and we, I, I guess it all sort of started. We were, we lived down in, um, you know, the lowest, coldest part of town, but it backed our, our house backed onto the town common, and out the back of that is the, you know, the local tennis courts, the local soccer fields, the local rugby league fields, and the cricket field was, you know, not far away either um and we um actually nathan horrocks's father was a local concreter ah. and uh because hori was from kingaroy as well yep. and they were building a new soccer clubhouse uh out the back at the soccer fields and uh, my father knew nathan's dad quite well and there just happened to be enough concrete left over to pour half a concrete cricket pitch in our backyard Oh, which was 100 metres from where the soccer clubhouse was being laid. So, um, and uh, yeah, so anyway, we, we finished up with a little half cricket pitch in the backyard with a net and put some synthetic on it, which in, in was ultimately the only synthetic practice wicket in town. Happened oh, wow. to be in my backyard. And I was only, I don't know, I would have been maybe 12, 13, yeah. I suppose. I uh, obviously played cricket, loved it. Um, and from that point on, we tended to have kids and local teams training in our backyard every afternoon of the week. Um, and my father was coaching many of those teams and um, there would just be kids in the backyard playing cricket every day because it was like, the only place you could play mm. um, that had a synthetic net. And so from that point, um, you know, Dad was always coaching and I just sort of started to do uh, you know, I'll, I'll say I was coaching, but I wasn't coaching. I was 13, 14, and uh, I, I just started helping out. Yeah. And so I sort of – I already loved the game, loved playing it, but that – I really enjoyed, you know, training, and I just enjoyed, um, you know, helping other people train, and that sort of led to some coaching. So, um, so from a very young age, while I was still playing, I was sort of doing a bit of coaching of other kids and, you know – the under nines and under tens and all the rest of it. So I just got involved that way. 
um, um, sort of beyond the playing perspective. Yeah, and uh, it sounds like a real hub um, of activity. It'd be hard not to love cricket growing up in an environment like that. Yeah, yeah I was pretty pretty fortunate, and um, you know, I'd tell a story. And so Matt Hayden was still out there at the time, and Matt used to come down and you know face. There's a, a local a local softball coach actually had one of the first jugs bowling machines, and yep. we used to borrow it. We didn't have one. We used to borrow it from time to time and set it up in the backyard. And Matt would come in and bat, and Dad did a bit of coaching with Matt and um, in the backyard. And so, you know, Matt would come and have a hit in the backyard. This is when he was, he's probably two or three years older than me, so he would have been um, 16, 17 at that stage and was at, at um, school in Brisbane. But when he'd come home for holidays, he'd come and have a hit. <clears throat> and there's a, there's a funny story because when I was with the Aussie team in the World Cup in the West Indies, I was doing the same thing for Matt then. We took, we used to take a bowling machine on tour and we were getting ready for the semi final against South Africa in, um, might have been St. Lucia, I think. And, uh, anyway, we're doing a net session and I'm, you know, feeding balls to the bowling machine and Matt's belting them all over the place as he did through <laughs> that World Cup. And at one stop, you know, at one point we stopped to pick up balls and walked down in the middle of a pitch and he just said, this is really, yeah, it's really cool. I remember 20 years ago, I was doing this with the old man in your backyard at home. Yeah. And here we are on the other side of the world. Um, so it was just a, yeah. So we, that's sort of where it, where it started, I suppose. And it was just a nice little story, 20 years or thereabouts onwards. Yeah. On, we were doing the same thing. Yeah, 100%. And um, playing cricket yourself, what was your what was your strong suit? You you play club cricket in Brisbane. Um, what What was it that you were picked in teams for? Um, yeah, not a lot. No, <laughs> well, I can't, no, um, no. Look, I was uh, I was a genuine all rounder. I grew up as a uh, as an all rounder. At times, I opened the batting. At times, I opened the bowling. Um, uh, I played, you know, played in a lot of different places actually. But I think if at at, at the highest of I played, which was first grade in Brizzy, um, I was probably I was either opening the bowling or bowling first change and batting at around seven or eight. Yep. I so that's probably, if I had to describe myself, I was probably a bowling all-rounder. Um, yeah, that's probably a um, probably a fair description and probably not really good enough at either to make it um, to progress any further, but was was solid. Yeah, yeah. And and you mentioned like from an early age, you you got your hands, hands on coaching with the younger kids and that sort of stuff. When, when you're playing cricket in Brisbane, uh, is that something that you – dabbled in a little bit while you're still playing? Yeah, 100%. Um, I, uh, I actually left Kingaroy to do an apprenticeship, so I'm, I did an electrical apprenticeship in a place called Maribor, which is country Queensland as well, about two hours north of Brisbane. And um, as a 18-year-old, I suppose, I'd finished school, so I'd moved up there at 17, 18, and I was playing up there, and I took on the club coach role as a 17, 18-year-old I was oh, wow. at the time with a club in Meribra. Um And so used to, you know, just and, – and basically in those – at that time, that role just entailed organising a training session. Mm. So, I, you know, I used to just organise training sessions and I coached the under-12s, under-14s, under-16s and played in the in the senior team and um, organised our trainings because I just, I just love training. And so I just organised training and we, you know, um, it just sort of evolved from there. And I did a um, – 
I did a, a level one coaching course at when I was in Maribyrnong uh, in probably 1992, and a guy called Nev Polson, who worked at Queensland Cricket at the time, and this was very early days of sort of Queensland Cricket in their move to uh, Albion and, and getting that set up. Uh, Ned Bolson and Tupac Byron was sort of oh, setting yeah. that up, and Ned came up and did the um, level one coaching course there. And uh, for whatever reason, on the back of that, he reached out and said, "Oh, look, I think you know, I think you, you know, you, I can see something in you about with your coaching, and I think you know that you should, we, you know, we'd like to get you involved a bit more." And so, uh, a guy called Bob Deakman was the regional cricket manager. Um, for the Wide Bay region, which is where Maribyrnong was. And uh, so while I was doing my apprenticeship, I used to go with Bob and do some coaching clinics and do some weekend work with him when I was not playing um, and just sort of got involved with him doing that um, and developed a real interest and, you know, then used to get invited into the, you know, the Queensland Emerging Players Squad um, camps Mm. that Queensland Cricket ran. So they would run those on school holidays because they involved... Um, the kids are obviously at school and I'd been in that squad only you know 18 months before I suppose yeah. um, so I'd been part of that as a player um, and then yeah got invited to come back in and you know do some coaching work with the younger state squads um, and so, so sort of grabbed those opportunities um, as they as they came up and then it, after um I finished my apprenticeship, so I did four years in Maribyrnong. So I didn't move to Brisbane until I was 21. And I played uh, I played the first year with the uh, club called the Sunshine Coast Scorchers in their first year because I was still living in Maribyrnong. Yep. And I was driving to Brisbane every weekend to play uh, in that team. And then at the end of that year, I moved to Brisbane and that's when I went to university and played um, played at University Creek Club and I just, you know, I, I just basically lobbed up there because it was the closest one to where I was living. Um, and, and a very famous gentleman called Webb Harris who ran the club, um, recognized me from the year before because we'd played uni the year before and I'd, I'd gone okay, got a few runs and a few wickets against uni. Yeah. And, uh, he said, Oh, you know, welcome and come on in. And they sort of, yeah, put me into, I went straight into first grade and second grade, um, uh, not really knowing anyone there, and um, yeah, played played that first season, and uh, yeah, went okay, but I wasn't, you know, I was never setting the world on fire, but went okay. And at the end of that first season, which must have been ninety six, ninety seven, I think, uh, the club coach stepped down, yeah. and uh, I'd been helping him out as as I do. I just helped out at training and yeah. ran fielding drills and stuff like that. Um, and the following year, I was appointed club coach. So I was oh, wow. twenty. I would have been twenty-two, I suppose, and I was club coach of a of the University Cricket Club in Brisbane, um, and still playing. Yeah, so trying to, you know, I still had uh, some very, I still had aspirations to maybe progress, but in reality, um, that probably wasn't going to be the case. And um, yeah, so I continued to play first and second grade, depending on who was available. We had half a dozen shield players in our team so it was I was always up and down each week yep. depending on who was back um, and continued to play there and yeah coached club coached the club for two years and we you know we had really good success I think we won we won six premierships out of 
10, you know, five wow. divisions. Each year we won six premierships and played in eight finals, I think, over two years. So um, had had some good success there and we hadn't won much prior to that. So I can't take – I don't think I can take too much credit for it. It might have just been good timing, I think. But, um, just And then from there – yeah, sorry. Oh, just, yeah. just, just on that as a 22-year-old, you mentioned you've got state players coming in and out and, and that kind of mm. thing. For, for you as a young person, did it take you a while to kind of back yourself – and um, I guess sort of find find your own style of coaching. Did did it sort of be in, was it a little bit intimidating in some respects, or or did you find oh, it? Hundred percent. Yeah. Hundred <laughs> percent. It was. I think. Like I, I loved coaching, so I was always you know I was reading, I was studying the you know the Rick Charlesworth of the world, who at the time was coaching the Hockey Roos. So I was reading everything that he wrote and said and. Uh, Rod McQueen was coaching the Wallabies at the time, I think, or, or had done just prior. So I was, so I was really interested in coaching and had a real passion for it. And I think the other, the thing I did, I didn't really try and tell people how to play. All I tried to do was create an environment in which they could train. Mm. So if they, and you, coaching, coaching club cricket's really interesting because you've got three different groups of people. You've got, you know, you had, we had, yeah, you know, we had Casper and Martin Love and Wade Second and Jeff Foley and guys that are playing, Paul Jackson that are playing in the Shield team. Then you've got guys that are wanting to play in the Shield team, so they want to train really well. And then you've got other people that are there because they're good enough to play there, but they're actually not too worried about progressing. They're yeah. talented cricketers. And you've got six grades or five grades, sorry, at the time. So you've got a fair spread. And so I remember, I still remember the only thing I set as a goal for the club and everyone just had to say, had to identify one thing they wanted to get better at. Yeah. And they just said to let me know what that was. And I would try and help them if I could. And, and then we just tried to set up, you know, a reasonable training environment where yeah. there was a bit of organization. There was, it catered for people turning up at different times because of work or study or whatever else. And we just tried to create a good environment to train in and people, sort of gravitated to that and enjoyed it and you know we had some success but um i i you know i didn't really have a lot of idea what i was doing i look back now and think i probably thought i did know something but i didn't really <laughs> yeah. um i was and i was doing a sports science degree i decided to go to uni after i finished my apprenticeship so i was doing human movement so i was sort of involved in that sports science biomechanics thing and um you know an interest in fast bowling so I was I was doing a lot of bowling, fast bowling work, and and working, doing some stuff with Queensland cricket in that regard with, with Jimmy Hunter, and that's when I first met John Buchanan when John had just started coaching the Bulls. Yep. Um, and he'd been the club coach at Uni, not immediately preceding me, but the one before that. So John and I have sort of had this connection for, for quite a while, um, which I've been very fortunate to have had. Yeah, now just on John Buchanan, quite revolutionary what what he did for cricket. That the the Bulls had that golden era un, under yeah. his leadership, and then he took on the the Australian team. and And one of the things he's probably most noted for is 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 setting up processes and like like you said, setting up an environment where players can succeed. And he was he was really big on the data side of things. Is it correct that you while you're at uni, you were doing some bits and pieces? For, for like a uni placement with John? 
Yeah, that's right. So I did, I did because I was doing some coaching work with Queensland Cricket. I already had, you know, I was already doing some stuff there. And then as part of my university degree, we needed to do, you know, prac placements and we needed to do research projects. And so I basically did all of my prac with Queensland Cricket um, and, and largely focused on, you know, the fast bowling, biomechanics, research. And this was, you know, the early days of all the work into fast bowling back injuries and, and Jimmy Hunter, who was, you know, phenomenal. Um, he was assistant coach of the Bulls, but was also in charge of all of the, the biomechanics work that they were doing from a coaching perspective. So I spent a lot of time with, with Jim and with John, who was the head coach at the time, um, doing prac work. And, and that evolved into doing sort of video work for John. So this is, you go to, you know, you talk about how John was revolutionary. Um, we, um, you know, I used to sit in the bottom of the gabber in the in the nets there. There's a little the indoor nets is a little room full of what used to be full of videotapes and we sit <laughs> there with an old VHS, you know, recorder and deck and you'd manually scroll backwards and forwards through shield game footage and, oh, wow. and code and tag, you know, dismissals and who you know, how did they get out, who was bowling, what happened. Uh and then that's you know, John would then build game plans and start to look at the tendencies of players, um, mm. but we were doing all that. Now it's all digitised, and uh, but that was in <clears throat> with VHS tapes, so uh, it was you know phenomenal. And at the end of that, <clears throat> I'm going to say the end of that. Oh, it's probably the ninety, might have been ninety seven, ninety eight season. Um, or it might have even been a year later. Um, we were at Queensland Cricket in the old Ian Healy room, and we had. Printouts. We just had printouts of paper everywhere around this room. We had tables set up with paper everywhere, <laughs> and we were, we were just going, okay, how we, how can we make this process better? Yeah. Um, and uh, that was the birth of what's called the fair play system, mm. uh, the uh, data analysis system. So Jimmy Hunter's brother Richard was a software data software person. Yeah. So he's there as well. Um, and so on the back of that, we sort of built, well, I didn't, but the, the Hunters and, and Queensland Cricket essentially built the fair play system, which is pretty widely used now throughout cricket, um, to code, code every game, code yeah. every delivery. Um, so that, I think it was around 97, 98, give or take a year or two. Yeah. Yeah. And long time ago. So that was, yeah, that was John wanting to, you know, um, put the odds in, in our favour, if you like. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And uh, we'll talk about time with you working with him later. But prior to that, um, you, you get a job at entry-level entry, entry level kind of cricket job as a, a regional cricket manager. What, what, what was um, – how did that opportunity come mm. about? And um, can you give us some reflections on your time working up in Rockhampton? Sure. Um Yes, there's there's a couple of pieces that came to play there. So as I said, I was doing a human movement degree at QUT. Um, Halfway through my final year there, um, um, I'm just trying to think how all this played out. Uh, So Bob Diekman, who, as I said, I did some work with probably a few years, eight years earlier, maybe seven or eight years earlier, just volunteering with him, took on a job to go to Kenya to run the 
uh, a program in Ken- cricket program in Kenya. Oh wow! It was probably one of the, one of the first Aussies to go and do you know this overseas development type work. So Bob headed off over there, which then created a gap, and I think he was doing a twelve month contract. And so Queensland Cricket asked me whether I would like to be the regional cricket manager for Wide Bay mm-hmm. um, uh, while Bob was away. And so I was halfway through fourth year of uni um, and I went, okay, it's here's an opportunity. So at this stage I was probably 20, uh, must have been 24, 25-ish, I think. Yep. You know, and I was, I was playing first grade most of the time and going okay, but I wasn't. And I wasn't anywhere near the Shield team. So I thought, here's an opportunity to, you know, to, to work in cricket, uh, actually as a full-time, because every, everything up to that point had been voluntary, voluntary work. Yeah. So I get paid a little bit to be club coach at uni, um, not enough to live on, but enough just to, you know, honorarium type payment. Yeah, so yeah. I saw this as an opportunity to actually get employed in the sport that I loved and wanted to be involved in. And so I took it. So I, I spread my last year of uni over 12 months, just did two subjects uh, each semester and went and worked as a development officer in, based in Meribah, um, which is funnily enough back to where I had come from. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, so I went and did that and did that for must have been around 12 months, I think. And then Bob came back from Kenya mm-hmm. and at the same time, John was appointed to the Australian team, so 99. Yep. Uh, Bennett King got appointed to the Bulls job. Yep. And Terry Oliver, who was the development officer in Rockhampton, got brought down to Brisbane to replace Bennett. Ah, oh, right. In his role. And so I then went, you know, this is all musical chairs. So I then <laughs> went from Wide, Wide Bay to Central Queensland, based out of Rockhampton. Yeah. Um, and so I was up there from, I think, 2000, I think. Called 2001. I was, yeah, so it was sort of, yeah, it became, it wasn't my first gig as the regional cricket manager, but probably the first proper one where I was employed, not just sort of holding the fort for someone else. Yeah. Um, yeah, and so I did that. Um, yeah, and uh, kept kept playing. I played up in, in uh, Rockhampton for um, Lipoon. Uh, yep. I just, I got up there and said, okay, who's the, who's the weakest club? <laughs> I'll go and play there. Um, and so I went there and played and coached with them. Um, and yeah, played in the, in the country system with, with Central Queensland and Rocky and coached. And, um, I think the end of the next year, I was, I think I was Queensland country coach. Yeah. I think that was, yeah, while I was living in Rocky. So yeah, um, good fun. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Covered a lot of miles. Yeah, yeah, and in in two thousand and three, um, Bangladesh are touring Australia. Mm. I think they had that top end top end tour there, and yeah. Um, t- tell us a little bit about. Like, I think you just just around that time you had a secondment to go and do some work with with the cricket academy, which then led to an opportunity in Bangladesh. Uh, can you give us a little bit of background around that? Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, so I'm trying to think, testing my memory now. Um, <laughs> but I did, yeah, I did. I did about two years in Rockhampton, and then an opportunity came back with uh, across Brisbane North and Sunshine Coast. So I moved back to Brisbane to be the regional cricket manager for Brisbane North and Sunshine Coast, and 
uh, also took on coaching the Queensland Fire, which is the women's mm. program yep. in about 2003. Anyway, so um, so I'm back now. I'm back in Brisbane, um, still working for Queensland Cricket, still doing a DO's job, leading yep. all the pace bowling program though. So I ran the uh, with Terry. We ran the um, pace bowling program. So all the you know remedial programs and off season programs, all the analysis work, etc. Yeah. Um, and then so in 2003, Rod Marsh got poached by the ECB to go to England. Yeah. <clears throat> And, and he took Troy, uh, Troy Cooley with him. So Troy was the fast bowling coach at the academy in um, Adelaide. So Cricket Australia advertised those roles um, and had to replace um, you know, Rod and, um, and Troy. And so um, Bennett King got appointed to the academy head coach role, yep. um, taking over from Rod. I applied for Troy's job but didn't get it. So John Harmer, who was currently in the UK, Got the job, but he couldn't start till the end of the year. Oh, right. Obviously, they needed they needed to run um, they needed to run the winter program in two thousand and three, and so I got offered or got asked if I could. And Queensland Cricket were asked if they could I could be seconded to go and work at the cricket academy as the pace bowling coach. Um, and so, you know, I'd, I'd sort of been involved as part of the national pace bowling program that Troy used to run with Dennis Lilly and everyone else, and. You know, so I was part of that group, and um, yeah, so took took that opportunity to go and live in Adelaide for you know the best part of six months. Um, my family stayed. I had a, a wife and a, a one year old at the time, but they oh, stayed wow. in Brisbane and just come back and forth. Yep. Um, <clears throat> so I did that in Adelaide, and yes, that that 2003 coincided with Bangladesh coming out to do the top end tour, and we played as the academy team. We played them in Brisbane. Uh, that one bought a field and um, yeah that was some days preceding the game and we were up there um, and I was yeah we the relationship between Cricket Australia and, and Bangladesh Cricket at the time was sort of almost big brother little brother type set up we were happy yeah Cricket Australia were trying to help Bangladesh emerge and there was some you know some government relationships there and and so we did some coaching work with them uh, through that period and Dav Watmore was coaching yep. the Bangladesh team at the time and, um, yeah, and, and basically within a couple of weeks, they were still in Australia. The Bangladesh team was still in Australia. I got a phone call saying, look, we'd like you to come to Bangladesh and coach your under-19 team for the World Cup, which was coming up in, so this is about September or August maybe. Uh, the World Cup was April the following year in Bangladesh. Yep. They said, we'd like you to come and coach the 19s to that World Cup. Uh, and be the you know the BCB development coach. Uh, so pretty big, <laughs> pretty <Huge>. big move. <laughs> um, kid, kid from country Queensland had never actually. I reckon I'd only been overseas once, twice in my life to New yeah. Zealand. Um, and this opportunity came up, and I went, "Oh, hang on!" And because I was on secondment to the Creed Academy, the you know the, once the academy program finished, I was going back to Queensland cricket. Yeah, back into a regional cricket manager role, um, and doing the bowling stuff, and you know, coaching the fire. And so I thought, hang on, here's a here's an opportunity to basically be a professional coach. Yeah, um, albeit in Bangladesh, which I'd never been to, I didn't really know much about. So, <laughs> but 
as I've done pretty much all my life, it was I thought, well, here's an opportunity. Um, what have you got to lose? Yeah. And so I agreed, and you know, went over there for a couple of weeks and had a look around, and um, thought, oh yeah, I think I can do this. So <clears throat> we moved over there. So my family, my wife, and my 18 month old at the time, or 14 month old son, we moved to Bangladesh for uh, two years. And what was your biggest learning about yourself as a coach in, in that new environment? Um, well, lots. <laughs> I, I went from being, you know, arguably in the best resource cricket environment in the world, cricket being Cricket Australia and the Academy in Adelaide and, you know, highly technical. We had every, you know, contemporary piece of equipment and methodology you could imagine to go into a country where no technology, we didn't even have turf wickets to practice on, um, very minimal resources. Um, you know, we had funding resources were okay over there, but they had no facilities, they had no coaching infrastructure and, you know, I didn't speak the language. And so I went from, I went from being a highly technical coach and I had to adapt and I had to find another way. So, you know, my coaching style changed. Well, it, it probably broadened because yeah. I I developed another way of coaching which I could use when I needed to use it, and I could still lean on the the technical implicit coaching style, but I also had this developed this ability to um, coach explicitly, mm. or sorry, implicit learning where you know you give the players a task and they have to, you help them try and solve it rather than solve it for them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which was fascinating. So I think, yeah, I learned, I learned a hell of a lot just in terms of communication, body language, not relying on words and the nuances of the English language because you just couldn't do it over there. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you, you, you come back to Australia and an opportunity comes up, to work with John Buchanan um, with the Australian men's team, uh, 2005 after the the Ashes, they do a bit of a review, and um, you you get you get yourself in this this environment. What's it What's it like for you as someone who loved cricket from day dot uh, to be in in and around that elite environment and and a bit like when you're 22, I guess you're 22, you're yeah. you're coaching those guys. Uh, they're at university now. You're coming in, and it's RT Ponting, AC Gilchrist. Like these guys are icons of the game. And <laughs> and how did yeah. how did you prepare yourself to give your best in that environment? Uh, yeah, it's a, it's a really um, it is a really interesting story because uh, it all it all came about. Basically, I got a phone call after we lost the Ashes in 2005 um, so that you know the iconic Ashes series that it was that um, where we lost I got a phone call a couple of weeks later from um, Michael Brown who was the operations manager at Cricket Australia and he basically said um, we've done a few post Ashes uh, we don't think we were very well prepared or planned or organised in, in that, and that's public knowledge, you know, that's yeah. been spoken about a lot. And we want you to do this job. We want you to help us prepare better and 
um, <laughs> I was, you know, as you can imagine, as you just touched on, you know, here's this opportunity to go and work with the greatest team we've probably seen. Mm. Um, and I think I said to Michael, well, give me 10 seconds to think about it and I'll come <laughs> back to you. Um, but so, yeah, look, I, I was working at the Creative Academy, back at the Creative Academy, which it was now in Brisbane. And um, so I was already employed by CA, but just in a, in a senior coach role. Um, and yeah, this opportunity came up. So yeah, look, I clearly, I did speak to my wife first, but um, it, it wasn't going to take a lot of convincing that I should do it. Um, but what was really interesting, and we didn't have a lot of time. It all happened very quickly, and we had the West Indies arriving to play the first test at the Gabba in you know, traditional time, so it was November, I think. Yeah. So I might have had, I might have had a couple of weeks, because because I was already working at CA, there was no. There was no like you know notice period and yeah. delay. It was right. You just you're going from this job to this job and straight away. And so the first test rolls around and I get this note saying, right, uh, here's your, here's your gear, so you can you know the gear turns up at home and I get a kit full of uniform and I'm you know like probably like every kid that gets <laughs> some Aussie gear, you just, yeah. you wear it around it, even though I was a whatever I was thirty odd. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and then, yeah, go into the team hotel, and I don't really know anyone. Like I knew, I knew Matt Hayden because I I know Matt from from Kingaroy. Didn't know him well, and Matt had obviously established himself as a you know a very senior player on the side. I knew Andrew Simons because we I'd been in some squads with Simo and played against Simo, and I knew Shane Watson was in the squad at the time, so I played against Shane in Brisbane. Yep. Um, so I knew them, but I wouldn't say I knew people. I didn't know anyone really well. And I, I go to the team hotel and I, you know, I lob in there on whatever night it was. And um, I go to meet Steve Bernard, who was the manager, and say, look, Steve, I'm, I'm Richard. Um, you know, apparently I'm part of the staff now. And um, Steve was like, yep, here you go. Here's the run sheet. Steve used to hand write yep. the run sheets out. He gave me, gave me the run sheet and said, right, we'll see you in the morning. And that was it. So I was like, okay. Um, and so, funny story. The next morning, I'm trying to work out whether what I should do. Like everyone's going to be down at breakfast because yep. the bus is leaving at whatever time. Everyone's going to be at breakfast, and I, I'm having this crisis in my mind, going, "Do I put my team kit on and walk down to breakfast?" Or yep. do I wear casual clothes and try and go and sit in the corner and just pretend that no one? Because if I, most of these guys don't know me. Yeah, yeah. So if I walk down there in team kit, they're going to go, "Who the hell is this <laughs> wandering around in team kit?" Um, anyway, I uh, I can't actually remember what I what I actually did wear down to breakfast, but I had to make a decision there and then about how I was going to approach it. And I walked down and I I can't remember who I ran into first. So the table of guys were sitting there and I probably should remember, but I just basically went up and introduced myself. Yeah. And, you know, and it was, a, it was a key moment because if I'd gone the other way and just gone and hidden in the corner, I don't think I would have survived. Yeah. Yeah. Because and, of the environment that it was. 
And, and you're there um, in a sort of data analysis kind of capacity, yeah. but you're very hands-on as well in terms of all the stuff you would have learned as a coach. You're out there doing fielding drills, yeah. catching practice. Yeah. Like, what's yeah. what's that like for you? Um, it, yeah. Is it ner- is it nerve wracking trying to trying to hundred percent hundred like I was I was you know I don't know if you're allowed to swear in this no oh, probably not <laughs> I, was, I was I was shitting myself like <laughs> you know because I you know, as I said like I I was a, an average player I wasn't a super talent at all and yeah I was I was then going into training so I'm you know doing throwdowns and I'm throwing nicks and we're doing fielding drills and I'm, you know doing and you've got to to do that, you've got to be able to operate at a, well, at least a level that's not going to stuff things up for the people that are operating at a really high level. So, yeah, it was. I was, you know, it was a cha- challenging, but I learned a hell of a lot from that around mindset to say, you know what, I've I've just got to do this. Yeah, I, I don't have an option. I've just got to do this, and I've got to do it well. And it taught me a bit about focus. Um, mm. and concentration, and it gave me a really greater appreciation of these guys about how they play and how they focus and how they stay in the moment. And you know, a simple a simple drill like you know you would have watched when they're doing nicks. You know, you you got someone holding a, a probably a small bat um, yep. on one knee, and they're you know they're hitting nicks to the slip fielders and gully fielder. And so I was the person who used to throw for that. Yeah. And so when you're throwing those nicks, you're basically aiming for a target that's about the size of a a small book. Yeah. And if you miss that, you stuff it up. Yeah. And so you, I would throw, I don't know, <laughs> hundreds of balls in a session and you just couldn't miss. And I remember <clears throat> I'd catch myself because as you got distracted, you'd miss your target. Mm. And you might only miss your target by six inches, but that was no good. I remember once we were in the West Indies and I almost hit Ricky in the head. I'd been <laughs> on the team for a little while, but I, I don't know. I was distracted thinking about something else and I threw this ball and I nearly hit him in the head and he's, yeah, he's giving me a spray as he should have done, you know, <laughs> in a good way. Um, as, but it's like, you just got to concentrate. And so you just had to back yourself to do it. And I saw, I saw a lot of people come in and out of that environment who were, who were far better cricketers than I ever was that had played a lot of first-class cricket that should have been able to operate in that environment but didn't, for whatever reason, just didn't back themselves in that environment. And maybe it was harder because they knew the guys and they played with them and so there was – whereas no one knew me, no, really. They didn't know that I couldn't play and, you know, they just assumed I couldn't play, so that was fine. <laughs> But it was a, yeah, it was a really interesting mental activity um, to just. I had a job to do, and I just had to do my job, essentially. Yeah, and, and not let anyone down. And, and learn, learning to to back yourself and trust trust that you're there for a, a very good reason. Um, yeah, yeah. Now, working in women's cricket, you you mentioned you'd coached uh, Queensland prior prior to working with the men's team, um, and. We've really probably only seen the professionalism in women's cricket sort of in the last five, ten years. It's really, really stepped up a couple of notches. Um, when you joined in 2008, what was, what was the environment like um, a, as a coach? 
Um, not not massive. I mean, we've certainly seen the professionalism in terms of salary has gone through the roof yeah. in the last 10 years, definitely, with the, with the women's team. Um, in terms of how they train and how they prepare, <clears throat> I don't, I don't think it's changed massively. They play more games now. So, you know, we used to be uh, together probably 150 days a year. So probably half, half the year we were either in camp or on tour or playing. So it was a reasonable commitment back then. Um, now that's probably up to, I'm not sure what it would be now, but it's probably, you know, three quarters of the year rather than half the year, maybe more that, that, the, the teams in together and um, they're certainly playing more games. So, yeah, I think you know we had we had support staff, we had you know all the same people that they've got on board now. Um, probably a couple of extras now, but uh, it was a fairly yeah. I'd like to think it was a fairly professional setup, um, but they certainly weren't getting paid what they're getting paid now. Yeah, That's the big difference, which then you know means you probably got more access to their time um, now. Yeah, and, and how how were you uh, riding the highs and the lows of being an elite level coach? Um, there's World Cup wins in there. There's an Ashes win. Yeah. Uh, there's an Ashes loss over in England as well. How, how mm. do how do you? I think one of those World Cups that maybe that one against uh, New Zealand where Perry Perry's involved in yeah. in, in the final stages. Yeah. As a coach, are you riding every moment, or are you one of these guys <laughs> that gets your cup of coffee and sits down? Well, I've done my job. Up to the players now. Yeah, yeah. Uh, look, I'm I'm closer to the latter, not the not the former. Um, I try to be pretty calm. You yeah. know, sort of trying to channel my best Wayne Bennett. Yeah, John yeah. Buchanan, if you like, but I'm certainly not a Craig Bellamy um, <laughs> style coach. Uh, but you know, I think you still you still ride it a bit, and you know what what I learnt with coaching the women's team was body language was critical. Um, you had to be very careful about any body language sign, um, you know, because of the team and the players would feed off your language or your body language more mm. so than what a men's team would. Yeah, and so I, you know, I, I certainly wasn't perfect at it, but I tried really hard to be pretty calm. Um, I certainly was of the view that. As a coach, you know my job's done. Come that game day, my job is done. Yep. It's up to the captain and the players to do the job. And sure, you know you add, you'll offer thoughts in the breaks and between innings, etc. But largely, if we haven't done the work prior to game day and a game of cricket, it's too late. Um, and that was certainly my philosophy. Uh, so yeah, I tried to be pretty calm, but you know, like it, I suppose with any coaching gig. Um, particularly when it's your career, you, you, you're emotionally invested in um, the performance and how they go. So yeah, yeah. And, and and a longer series like an Ashes, I'll just use 2010-11 as an example. Um, yeah. Australia go up two-one, guys. England fight back, uh, win four of the five T20s, and it's mm. a, a do or die test match. Um, and Renee Farrell takes a hat trick, and the rest mm. is history, kind of thing. But h- how do you yeah. manage? How do you manage the group uh, through a long series like that, and and keeping them level and keeping them focused on on those processes that you want them to be following? Yeah, uh, yeah, good question. Because a lot of emotions that go through it. I think the other thing back in that time, it was each of those. Um, the ODIs, the T20s, and the Test were all separate, and the Ashes was only played on the Test match. Mm. 
So that was it might have been the last year or the second last year because we put that idea forward to play a multi, play the Ashes over a multi-game series, a multi-format series. But at that in that 2010-11 one, the Ashes rode on the Test match. Mm. Um, so <clears throat> I think, and so yeah, we had a little bit of. Yeah, you know, a couple of changes of personnel between the different formats even back then. Um, I think it's one of the beauties of that process-based approach, which I, you know, I certainly took and learnt from John, is that how do we give our how do we give ourselves the best chance of winning the game? Mm. Well, we know if we do A, B, C, we're giving ourselves a chance. And yes, there's going to be there's variables in the game. Things you get, you know. The conditions can change. You can get a couple of good decisions or a couple of bad decisions. Um, but we know if we do these things consistently, we're putting ourselves in the game and trying to stay focused um, is really important. So, you know, we, our game plans will reflect that. Our review of games would reflect that. Um, and so you're trying to be – I tried to be really objective with what we were doing, but I also understood that, you're dealing with humans, and humans are emotional mm. people, or characters, creatures. <laughs> so you can't you can't ignore that. And um, so you're trying to find that balance of, you know, um, yeah, being being objective, process driven, but then capturing the the emotion and the, how do you harness that for good? And, and Renee Farrell is a great example. Yeah, yeah, you know, Fez. Processes, no, not really her language. She's heart and soul, you know, yeah. really emotional person. Highs are high, the lows are low. But if she's high, she'll, you know, she can do amazing things. And so, you know, that's really how do you how do you capture that? And within a group, you're going to have a few players like that. You'll have a few that are really process driven. You'll have a few that are a bit of both. And that's the art of coaching, I suppose, isn't it? How do you get the best out of a group? Yeah. Yeah, and does it excite you now? Uh, are you still a cricket watcher now? Are you are you following like a, a lot of the talented players that are playing now in the Australian team? I think Elisa Healy made her de- debut, her test debut certainly, in that Ashes series and then the yeah. likes of Meg coming in and doing what she's done. Um, does that does that give you a degree of satisfaction knowing that you've, you've played a small piece in, in that puzzle? Yeah, hundred percent. Like I, if I look through that group now. Um, trying to think. So Beth Mooney, did a, a lot with Beth was before she came into the Aussie setup. Um, yeah, Alyssa Healy, Perry Lanning, Jess Johnson. I did spend a lot of time with Jess. Brought her into the Aussie setup for, um, a long time ago. Shelley, who's coaching now, like Shelley, Shelley is absolute gold. Um, yeah. You know, she was vice captain when I was coaching, and someone that I. I depended on a lot. Um, so, you know, Megan Shute, who could have, you know, her life could have gone any number of ways and I'm just really pleased that she's, you know, used the potential she had um, to make a great career out of the game. So, yeah, there's so many and, and even, like even the ones that aren't in the team now that I see have gone on to coaching. I was like Aaron Osborne's had a performance at ACT. Like Ozzy's done a great job. Yeah. Um, you know, Beansy doing commentary and you know it, yeah so I still follow it I still I don't watch every game but I certainly keep track of scores and see how people are going and um, yeah you know I'm certainly um, I'm proud of what, what they've all achieved and you know, if I was able to play a really small role in that then great um, you know but I'm just 
you know, part of why I coach is to help people achieve their dreams and achieve their potential. So anytime someone is on the path to doing that, I'm pretty happy for them. Yeah, absolutely. And what's next for you professionally? Where, where, where are things up to in, in your professional career now? Can you just give us a little bit of insight on, as to what's on the radar? Yeah, so I'm um, uh, I'm currently CEO of Water Polo Australia. So I've been here for uh, three and a half years now, but I'm finishing up the end of this month and uh, heading to work at the Australian Sports Commission as the um, Executive General Manager of Sport and Community Capability. So a uh, fairly long title, which probably reflects the, the breadth of the role. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the, the key, I suppose, the, the remit is to help sports build capability in coaching, officiating, volunteering, participation, um, yeah. governance, finance, and help sports deliver sport yeah, as well that, to, that. to kids all over the country and adults all over the country. Yeah, the volunteer base, uh, invaluable. Like we, we obviously have people working professionally in sport, but sports don't exist without those people. So, yeah, critical Correct. work uh, in terms of yeah. giving them a really positive experience of that. Yeah, no, hundred percent. And um, you know, I'm looking forward to that role. I think, yeah, with the decade we've got ahead of us in Australian sport, it's it's a big opportunity to make sure we set up the sector to to really kick on uh, post the 32 Olympics. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, it's been great chatting. We can't let you go though without you telling us uh your dream net session sounds like you you love a you love a net you love a fielding drill yeah you you love all that sort of stuff if you could bring any three people into that environment they could be cricketers uh they they could be they could be from any walk of life that you like who's at the richard mckinnis dream net session dream net session um it's a really it's a really tough question uh look i'd I'd have to I'd have to invite Roy, so Andrew Simons. Yeah. Um, uh, look, you know, um, terrible tragedy last year with Roy Roy passing. Um, but Roy and I used to have great battles in the nets. You know, we played a bit together, and um, yeah, he was just good value around the group, as as was commented on last year. But around net sessions, he was phenomenal and mm. just a just a, a good guy. Um, from <laughs> this is a bit left field, but. Uh, there's a, a Gretel Tippett who um, plays netball for the mm. Firebirds and for Australia. So I spent four years working with the Firebirds. Gretel, for me, is probably the best all-round athlete I've ever seen. And wow. I just I reckon she could probably play cricket if she had a go because she is just phenomenal. Um, physically, skill-wise, unbelievable athlete. Um, so, I'd, yeah, I'd like to just see her. I like <laughs> that. With it. That's really cricket, good. bat, and ball. Because uh, she could, I reckon she'd probably do it. Could be well. another Ash Barty, possibly. Ah, uh, well, yeah. I mean, she played basketball and netball, but they're similar. But yeah, she's just a just a phenomenal athlete. Uh, the last one's really hard. Look, I, you know, Ricky Ponning and Mike Hussey and Gilly. You know, those guys hate us as well. I mean, they probably trained as well as anybody I've ever seen train, and that's yeah, the success wasn't by accident. Um, so those guys would be great. Um, you know, I, I always had a, a soft spot for Sarah Coit. You know, I think Sarah was she still playing for Tassie. I think. Um, you know, oh, Sarah she's was at great, New South Wales this year, actually. I'm going back to New South Wales. Actually, yeah. yeah, 
So, um, you know, Sarah Coit and Jess Cameron, I think, were just, yeah, really good value uh, and, and really good, yeah, good good players who who achieved some pretty good stuff. Um, look, there's a whole bunch of other, you know, superstars that I've been lucky enough to work with, but that's just just some. Um, you know, throw Mitch Johnson in there, like, you know, a lot of time for Mitch and uh, what he went through to get to where he, what he eventually achieved with all of his injuries. Um mm. So, you know, you could throw Mitch in there as long as I didn't have to face him again. So, I'd be quite happy. <laughs> uh, and maybe have a glazier on standby of Jess Cameron's whacking them. Um, good YouTube yes. footage of her smashing the uh, club room windows somewhere in Victoria back yeah. in the day. Yeah. Yeah. And Jess was, you know, that was, she was ahead of her time in in women's cricket. And, and it was one of the reasons we picked her early on because she was one of the few players that could score 360 degrees. Mm-hmm. And even as a 17, 18-year-old against senior players, she would she scored everywhere, and and it was why she had a you know really successful career, and then went on still playing AFLW. Mm. So yeah, uh, phenomenal. Well, thanks so much for your time, Richard. I, I've thoroughly enjoyed hearing the bits of your story you've been able to share with us today, and hopefully it will inspire others to. Have a crack. Take a risk. Um, get out of the comfort that's zone. That's pretty much it. Yeah. yeah. That's pretty much it. Um, all the good stuff happens on the other side of fear. Mm. So uh, you've got to have a go. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thanks Thanks so much for your time. And, um, yeah, really, really uh, thankful for you being a guest on the Cricket Library podcast. No worries. Thanks, Matt. A massive thanks to Richard McInnes for joining us for the latest edition of the Cricket Library podcast. And of course, a massive thanks to you, our loyal listeners who tune in to each and every episode. And if you are listening for the first time, we have a very extensive back catalogue that I'd highly recommend that you look through and pick out some potential next listens because there are some other great stories on file here at the Cricket Library podcast and we'd love for you to enjoy them and learn from them and hopefully inspire you to to love the game of cricket even more than you do right now. And we have more to come, plenty more on the way. Make sure that you check in with thecricketlibrary.com to see what's coming up and we will be back again very soon with more great stories like this one. This has been Matt Ellis for the Cricket Library podcast. Bye for now.